0: You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso, Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. You are new. Uh, My name is Simon. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I want to welcome you and thank you for coming to celebrate our Sunday VBS message. And just so if you're wondering, like your kids have been saying stuff all week long, like I'm not sure why you're saying this and I don't know where this is coming from. We're actually going to fill you in today. And I'm going to actually talk through what your kids learn today and and get to that point. Um, A couple of things before we get going. Uh, There's an invite card inside your bulletin. Wow, we have some stuff coming up. So today is just the start of it. We have another uh, evening outdoor barbecue coming up, and then our life groups are starting up. If you're looking for a place to connect and get plugged in, on Wednesday nights, this place explodes with tons of activities from the kids to the youth, junior high and high schoolers, all the way to the adults. We would love for you to come and be a part of what we're doing. But with that, I want to go ahead and I want to jump into our message this morning so we can do that. Um, I don't know about you. I love vehicles. I've had so many vehicles growing up I've literally lost count Um, it doesn't matter what it is and how they work I like to be in different modes of transportation my son and I uh, my youngest son we go to the car show every single Saturday and we walk around I said oh I own that car and I own that car and I own that car and I crashed that car and that car is my friend's car that I crashed and he's like you've owned a lot of cars I'm like I have and I will say this I like motorcycles too or at least I was allowed to like motorcycles at one point in my life It makes sense in a second. Um, When you ride a motorcycle, there's all this stuff that's involved. And I rode my motorcycle for about a year and a year and a half. It was the only mode of transportation that I had. And I commuted from San Jose to Mountain View in the Bay Area. And every time I would go to work, it was like I was suiting up for battle. And I would put on all this gear. I had steel toe boots that I would wear. I had these gloves that went up halfway up my arm. I had a special jacket and pants. And I had my big helmet. And I didn't expect to crash or to fall or to go down because motorcycles are so fun and nothing ever bad would ever happen on them. And so I would drive back and forth and it was just what it was, but I was prepared nonetheless because my wife said, if you want to ride a bike, you will wear the armor. I'm like, okay, I'll wear the armor. And I distinctly remember the day When I was riding back from work in the commuter lane like a good person does, and I was only going 65 because that's the law and you don't want to break the law. And so I was going 65 in the commuter lane going home when all of a sudden the person in front of me decided it would be a good idea to switch three lanes in front of me on their phone without a blinker or brakes. And I remember when my tire touched the back of her car and everything went into slow motion. I remember every detail, it was like Spider-Man and fly wings, I could see them beating. And I, I watched myself high side on the motorcycle, which is the most dangerous way to crash on a motorcycle, and I went down and I watched the ground come towards my face, and then I remember sliding down the freeway on my motorcycle, thinking, well, this is it, it was a good run, Lord. And then as I started to break away from my motorcycle, I started tumbling down the freeway thinking, there's cars behind me. I need to figure something out rapidly. And so I did what any normal crazy person, I just jumped up and started running. I didn't know where I was going, but I was looking for something around this side that was safe. And so I got over to the side of the gravel on the freeway and I turned around and my bike was two lanes deep on another part of the road. Everyone was stopped. And I just started patting my body down. Do I have arms? Do I have legs? Am I dead? Like in the movie Ghost, you're like, oh, I'm dead. No, I wasn't because my armor had protected me in that moment. I actually rode my motorcycle. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I was happy too. I applauded when I rode the motorcycle home. Uh, And then I sold that. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) But all that being said is is I didn't think I was going to crash that day. I didn't think I was going to go down on my bike. I didn't think that there was going to be a problem. But because I was prepared for what was going to happen, it allowed me the protection when the danger did show up that I was going to be protected. Life's kind of like that, right? We don't think of life as being dangerous until it's dangerous, right? We kind of go, oh, life is great and life is grand and there's no problems. And the reality is is there's a lot of dangers out there that we may see or may not see. And so as I was thinking about this particular sermon, I thought about my shredded pants and my shredded jacket and my ripped up gloves and the gouges in my helmet and how I had literally ground down my shoe to the steel in my steel-toe boots. And I thought about how this really applies to what our kids learned all week. See, Paul wants us to understand that life is like this at some level. Now, Paul was one of the apostles. He wrote a majority of the New Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible, and he wrote a letter to a lot of different churches in, in the Bible. And one of the letters he wrote was to a group of people that lived in a city called Ephesus, and they were known as the Ephesians. And that's the name of the letter. And the letter's broken up into two major parts. The first part is how he explains what the gospel is, what it did, how it saved them, how it's transformed, them, how God has given them grace and mercy and drawn them in to be a new New creature through Jesus Christ. And it's this big explanation of the gospel. It's a beautiful section. And the second set of that book is about how that now affects how we live as Christians how we think, how we treat other people, how we engage the world around us. And that's what we want to talk about today. At the very end of this letter of Ephesians is where we have the section that our kids walk through all week long. And my job is in 28 minutes is to explain a week's worth of teaching in that time. So here we go. It'll be challenging. Turn with me if you can, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start up in verse 10. And for you kids who were in VBS, this is all going to sound really familiar, and that's good. You can follow on the screen. If you are new and don't have a Bible, in the seats in front of you, underneath, there's brand new Bibles. If you don't have one, please take it, keep it, use it. We would love for you to have God's Word. So here we go. done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet having on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. Let me pray, and then we're just gonna break down what we just read. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a great VBS. Thank you that these young men and women have gotten the opportunity to be just submersed in your word, in your truth, that they have learned about the armor of God, that they have learned about the two kingdoms, that they have learned that there is a reality that we exist and that there is truth and that ultimate truth comes from you and you alone. And the father of lies would want us to believe nothing that you have to say. Lord, I ask that we talk about that this morning, that you would convict our hearts, that you would turn us to you, that you would open up our eyes and ears to the truth of the world that we exist in. Holy Spirit, is anything that's in my notes that's not from you? I ask that you take it away, that it would not be a hindrance to the the gospel going forward. And if there is anything that you want me to say to anyone in this room this morning, that you would give me the courage and the boldness to trust that you have a message for someone here this morning. We love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Amen. So I have two major points today and an application point. So if you'd like to follow along, that's how we're going to do it. My first point is this. There is a battle there is a battle going on that in this world, followers of Jesus need to be strong. They need to be full of might because this battle in this world is between two different kingdoms. Our students learn that all week long, that we will either stand with the devil or we will stand Uh, for God, and that we must have appropriate gear if we are going to be in God's kingdom to stand against the devil and the schemes that he's talking about. And so we have these little phrases throughout the week, and I'm sure you students remember those phrases. Of two, only one is true. true. And you must decide. See, you guys were paying attention to Mr. John and everyone else in the group when they were teaching, and that's the reality, that there are these two kingdoms, and one is true, and one is false. And God is known as the God of truth, and the devil is known as the father of lies. And that we have to understand that that is what's going on in this world that we exist in. And there's a battle, and the battle is for your soul and your belief and your worship and your trust. And that, that enemy's goal is that you would not follow, love, and worship God who loves and cares for you so much, who has gone to great lengths to save you from separation from him and from darkness and from judgment. And one kingdom is built on truth and the other is built on lies. And what we'll find by the end is there's no place for Switzerland in these kingdoms. There, are, there is no middle ground. It's one or the other. You have to decide and pick. And that's where I want to end with today. Now you need to understand the enemy will do anything he can to get you to believe that lie that life is better without God. And so he will give you things if it causes you to distract. And what we would say is that's a great thing might be a bad thing. He may actually just go ahead and keep hammering you and making your life miserable. So you'll say, well, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me either way. He's completely happy with how he handles that and what goes on. Now, One of the things he wants you to believe is, one, there's not a battle. That there's no real battle in this world. It's just life and it just happens. The other thing that he wants you to believe is that he doesn't exist. There's a line from a movie, the greatest lie the devil devil ever told is that that he doesn't exist. That's a line from a movie. And the reality is this, he's very happy with you thinking that he doesn't exist. And the other thing that he wants you to believe is that it's, not a battle against him, but it's a battle against other people around you. He really wants you to think that others are the enemy and the problem. Now, there's this saying that we have in our house. I'm gonna quote the, uh, the great and uh, theologically astute Annette Price, and she would say this all the time. When there's a disagreement, when there's an argument in our home, when we're not seeing eye to eye, she says this, I'm not the enemy, the enemy is the enemy. I'm like, well, it's easier to you to be the enemy. (laughs) Isn't it? But the reality is this. The problems in our life at times that come up, she's not the enemy. It's that one of us at some level has believed a lie from the actual enemy. That's really what's going on. And so what needs to be said in that moment to put everything into perspective is like, I'm not against you, I'm for you, I love you. The enemy wants you to believe that I am against you and that I hate you. And he's saying that there is a battle and it's not against us, it's against this cosmic forces. It's against this spiritual battle that's taking place all around us that we actually can't see most of the time. And I wanna ask this question that you need to really come to grips with. Do you believe there is a battle for your soul? Do you believe that? See, I heard a yes. Someone said yes. I like that. Yes, there is. Yes, you're right. You're right as well. And the other thing that I want you to ask is, do you believe that there is more than this life? And based on how you answer those questions is going to decide which kingdom you're going to be a part of. And if you're going to have armor that's going to allow you to endure the trials and the problems of life that occur because of the kingdom that you're on. So my second point is this. The armor for the battle. That was the big theme, the big idea all week long. Now, there's a key thing that we need to understand how this armor works and what this armor does. And I think we can miss it sometimes. And the enemy wants us to to miss this idea is where that strength comes from to stand against the things that happen. And it tells us very clearly it's not in our strength. It's not on our ability. It's not in our works. It's us relying on the strength of God through his son, Jesus Christ Christ that is where that strength comes from. That is what protects us. That's what gives us the ability to stand. We don't have it within us to do it ourselves because of our broken nature and our broken hearts. We have a tendency to want to go back to the old self and to believe those lies. Only through Jesus Christ do we have the ability to say, no, we believe you, God. And so he has given us these spiritual resources that while we're here on earth, That we can do what he's called us to do to withstand and to have a purpose and a mission until he comes back for us or calls us home. So as we taught about this, the analogy that was used was this idea of armor. The first one is the belt of truth. Truth is a weird word nowadays, right? It didn't used to be a weird word, but now truth is a weird word in the sense that everyone tells you that anyone can have their own truth and you can believe whatever you want to believe. And as long as you believe it with all your heart, it's okay. You believe in your truth. Here's the only problem with that. If my truth disagrees with your truth, that means there's a contradiction, which means what? Someone's wrong. Not everyone can be right. And I tell people all the time, says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. I said, well, then I want you to know that I believe I can fly. And so I'm gonna go to the top of the, the, the church today and I'm gonna go ahead and jump off because I believe with my truth that I can fly. And then I won't and then you'll be right. Because reality is this, there is an absolute truth called gravity. And no matter what I believe or what I say, it does not change that. It's the way that God has designed the world to work and who he is. See, God tells us that he is truth and that Jesus is the embodiment of that truth because he is the embodiment of God. Do you understand that? God says a lot of things and when he talks about himself. He would say in John 14, 6 uh, that Uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he says, I am the way and the truth. So he is truth. In uh, verse, sorry, in chapter 8, 31 through 32. There we go, I can see it now. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free, that Jesus is the truth and freedom comes through him. And then he would say in 1837, for this purpose I was born, this is Jesus talking, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. God is truth. Jesus is truth because Jesus is God. And what he's saying is that the belt of truth is the thing that is the anchor. It's the root. It's the, it's the grounding of everything. It's what holds up our pants, what holds on our armor. Without that, we can't do anything. And so the beginning of everything is, is going to start in the idea of truth. And I want you to understand something. In this world where everyone is causing you to question everything, and it seems like truth changes every month, right? That there's a new truth and a new belief and a new way to think that you can know truth. And God has given us his truth. We have his word. We have the Bible. Jesus is our truth. He is our belt. The second thing it says is that there's a breast. Plate of righteousness. What is he saying? That we need to live a righteous life, that we would live that. Now, we, we've tried before, before Jesus. We couldn't do that. The reality is that this is, there's this great thing that takes place on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, if we place our life in his, he not only takes our sins and the punishment and the wrath of God absorbs that so we don't have to, he then gives us something. He gives us his righteousness. And that is the righteousness of how to live in a way that trusts and honors God, that everything we would do would be believing God's truth and not ours, that we would put on this breastplate and that we would walk in a way that how we talk, how we think, how we act, where we go would be in a righteous way that would glorify God in everything that we do. We want to bring God glory. He would say this really hard thing in Matthew Uh, Matthew 5 48 says uh, be perfect as the Lord is your father is perfect you're like I can't be perfect you're right you can't I can't either I'm gonna mess up but do you know that we were designed to live a life that would glorify God in all we do do you realize that we were made to be image bearers of God and who he is that's why Jesus is saying this but he's also saying that the only way you can do this is if you've accepted me as your Lord and Savior and I give you my righteousness. And you have the Holy Spirit that then convicts you and walks with you that gives you the ability to live in the way that you once couldn't. Practically, we need to understand, and and this is not 100%, if you follow God's, what he calls good and right and perfect, doesn't that seem to keep you out of a lot of trouble? Just in general, practically, like if you're listening to God and doing what he says, that kind of cuts it in half, doesn't it? Like all these things that I did when I was a kid, all my little problems always came from not listening to God, being in rebellion, thinking that I was smarter than him and doing what I wanted to do. That's just practically what it is. But what we need to understand is this breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our breastplate. And then it says that we have these shoes, these shoes of readiness by the gospel of peace. Shoes are interesting. Shoes, uh, they take us places, don't they? It's what moves us around wherever we go. You know, we talk about, oh, as I walk through life, right? Well, what do we use to walk through life? Our feet. We use uh, shoes that go over that. It protects us. It allows us to move through life in such a way. It's this idea that we're prepared, that we're ready for action, that we're called to move in a direction, As a Christian, we're called to a couple of things. What I love in the Bible is it talks about how God's family works together, how God's family functions. It's always meant to be a picture to the world around them so we would love each other. You know where the most love and grace and mercy should be experienced? Right here, with Christians. Does that happen all the time? Of course it does. No, not all the time, does it, right? We've experienced, you're like, wait, you're lying to me. You're experiencing that, that we've seen that. That doesn't always happen, but this is actually where that should happen the most, that the most forgiveness should be experienced within our church because we understand the gospel. We understand grace. We understand mercy. We understand unconditional love. We call this Christian fellowship I love the church. The church has been one of my favorite things from high school on that I experienced God's love through his people. I was a crazy little kid who didn't know anything about anything. I was rebellious and always in trouble. And yet the church walked with me and said, hey, we love you. You shouldn't do that. Here's what God's word says about that. And they were patient with me. The reason I'm here today is because godly men and women were in Christian fellowship with me and showed me what it meant to be a Christian and exist in a Christian family. I love the church. My hope is that you would get to experience that as well. So we're called to live out this love with each other, but it's also that we're called to take a message forward. It's not just about us existing together. That's a big part of it. But it's also about taking God's word forward. That there's a mission that we would go and bring the good news of the peace of the gospel. What does that mean? That man can have peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And that we are meant to take that message forward everywhere we go. Do you realize that God has had you exist in this time, in this space, in this country, in this state, in this city, at your job, at your school, to take the message of Jesus Christ forward to the world around you. That's amazing that he's called us to do that, to be a part of his mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says that, um, all authority has been given to me, therefore make disciples of all nations teaching to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I am with you always until the end of age. Like, I'm paraphrasing because I'm just, I didn't give the notes up there. But the reality is that we've been called to go forward and make disciples of all nations, teaching them about Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These shoes allow us to do that, to stay on mission, to move forward through life. So for the Christian, These shoes of readiness allow us to feel and experience what Jesus has already done for us. And so when we come together in life groups, when we come together here, as we extend love, grace, and mercy, and peace to each other, we get to feel what God has done through his son for us. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And for the non-Christian, for those who don't know Jesus, it's so that they can see what God has done for them through his people that we would be an example of that grace, mercy, peace, and forgiveness to others around. They would get to see that. So it plays off of two sides, the shoes of readiness. See, here's the thing. Jesus is our shoes. He's what gives us the ability to take this message forward through the power of his Holy Spirit. The next thing is the shield of faith. I don't know where this lie came from. I probably do. Now, if you become a Christian, everything in your life will be perfect and great, and there'll be rainbows and butterflies, and you'll make lots of money, and everything will be fantastic. Is that true? Yeah. You're a liar. <laughs> no, it's not true at all, right? The world is still broken. The world is still hard. It's still difficult at times. We, we still live in a sinful, broken, fallen world, don't we? And we experience that all the time. Life is difficult, but what we see is that with Christ we can endure what seems unendurable because he has given us something that we didn't have before. This would be called by Paul, the flaming darts and arrows that the enemy would shoot at us. I mean, think about this. The circumstances of life, the things that happen in this world, we lose people. We get hurt by people. We lose jobs. We get sick. Financially, we're upside down. There are trials, and there are turmoil in our lives. There's persecution for being a Christian. We're going to experience that, and the enemy is going to throw everything he can at you. And his goal, his objective, is to beat you down. That's what he wants. He wants to beat you down so you will give up, so you will be hopeless, And he said, I have given you a shield. I have given you the shield of faith that you would understand that I am doing something and the shield does something. In James chapter one, uh, right in the very beginning, I lost my place, I apologize deeply. James chapter one, two through four, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That these things that we go through with the shield of faith, it actually strengthens us. It says, there is someone who has defeated the enemy, and his name is Jesus Christ. Think about that. He has beat the enemy, has beat the devil. He cannot be defeated. He beated sin. He defeated death. If your life is hidden within, within him, what does that mean for you? That you have also defeated those things. And as we watch the enemy throw his flaming darts at us all the time, we realize that that shield of faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus being our shield, stops them, they do not penetrate us, and they do not kill us. The dart that we fear the most from the enemy is death. And Jesus said, I got that. I took care of that too. We may die physically, but we will immediately be with our Savior if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have to tell yourself that truth. Jesus is our shield. He protects us from the enemy destroying us. As we see Jesus every day get us through those situations, it strengthens us, it makes us steadfast to endure the world that we live in that is, let's just call it what it is, the world is a hard place to live because of sin. And then he says he gives us the helmet of salvation. Getting hit on the head is kind of a big deal. Uh, will Smith told me that it will give you a concussion. And then he hit someone. So anyway... We know that helmets do something, right? They stop the problem. They stop the pain. Baseball, football, hockey, whatever sport you follow, there usually is some kind of way to have a a protection of head involved because if you get hurt, that's that's a big deal. I'll tell you something. If I wasn't wearing my motorcycle helmet that day, I don't know if I'd be here today. I really don't. My helmet was completely demolished. That helmet did exactly what it was supposed to do. It protected me from the problem. You're like, okay, that's great. I'm glad you're okay from your motorcycle accident. How, what does the helmet of salvation do? Like, what, why, is, like, why is that this thing that protects my head? Because it's very important that we understand something. We have to understand what that means for us. Our salvation comes from one place and one place only. It comes from our faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not our good works. It's not our ability. It's not being a great person. It's not what we do. No, that's not it. We have to understand the thing that protects us from the most damage is the fact that there's a helmet of salvation that goes over our head that protects us. And so what we need to do is we need to have this mind about us. Uh, If we go to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9, this is the crux of the gospel. This is the big idea that we need to take away. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you understand what's being said about that? If you mess this up, everything else is messed up. You must always have in the forefront of your mind that it is the work of Jesus Christ. It is his good deeds and his righteousness that bring us salvation, not our own. And the moment you start to believe that your good works are saving you is heresy, and it puts you in a very dangerous position because if you don't understand the gospel, you're in danger of messing everything up. So we don't want to take off that helmet. We want to keep that helmet on. Every day you tell yourself, Jesus died for me. I have done nothing to earn it. I've done nothing to deserve it. It is purely a gift of a good and loving and gracious God that all I do is respond to him humbly and say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. It's not on me. That has to be our helmet all the time. That's why Jesus said, again, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. me." That's the only thing that brings you salvation is the work and the life of Jesus Christ, period. And then he says, I've given you this sword, the sword of the spirit. The last thing he gives us is an offensive weapon. How do you fight an enemy who is known as the father of lies? How do you fight lies? Well, there's only one way to fight lies. We do it all the time in a court of law with facts and truth. The only way to fight a lie is with truth. You have to bring truth upon a lie to show that it's not true. That's how we do that. And so he said, I have given you this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What is the sword? It's the Bible. Train your... See, they all know. Why don't you adults know these things? (laughs) Train your brain, right, you guys? That's what we learned. You have to read your Bible. You have to know your Bible. Um, I, my one of my sons, he's always asking me questions like, Dad, what's the Bible say about this? Dad, what's the Bible say about this? Or dad, my friend asked me this question. And I, I can give him answers because I have trained my brain. And I tell him, I said, buddy, you just gotta read, you gotta read God's word. You need to wake up and know it. How are we going to be able to Fight against the lies of the enemy if we don't actually know what the truth is. You see what's happened? We've come full circle. It starts with the belt of truth and it moves to the word of God, which is the truth that we have to fight the lies of the enemy. I don't know what your time in God's word looks like, but if you want to know how to survive in a world that is progressively getting more and more wicked, where it's more and more confusing, we have God's word. And I said it earlier, we change truth, it seems like by the hour. You know what that's driven by? Sinful, broken people trying to figure out what's right and wrong. I rather put my trust in God's Word, written for over 2,000 years on multiple continents and multiple languages all throughout history, and yet it all points to this God that loves and cares for us, that talk about prophecies of a guy who would come, who would save us, and they're all being fulfilled. His word is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to put my trust in God's word and that than a bunch of people who are clawing around for truth. You know, it's funny. Jesus is known as the second Adam. Why is he known as the second Adam? Because the first Adam, Eve, had to choose between two kingdoms, didn't they? God gave them everything and said that you're a part of my family, you're a part of my kingdom, all you have to do is believe and trust me and you can exist with me for forever perfectly. Then the enemy comes along, twists and lies about what God said and they had to make a choice, didn't they? I will either be a part of God's kingdom and trust him or I will believe the enemy and be a part of his kingdom. And they failed, and they chose the wrong thing. So when Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, the enemy attacks him, and he does the same thing. He's like, ah, I'm going to get this guy to come to my kingdom as well, the second Adam. You know what the difference was? He chose the right kingdom. He chose God's word. And every time the enemy manipulated what God would say, what did Jesus do? He answered with scripture. He answered with truth. He used the sword in that moment to destroy the lies of the enemy, and that's what has been modeled to us and what we would do. I guess my question for you today is, do you have this armor? What does that mean for me, son? What's the application point? Let Let me wrap this all up. What does this mean for the Christian? Christian... Every day, we make decisions if we're going to put our armor on. You know what we're really saying in those moments? Every morning I wake up and say, Simon, you're not in charge. Jesus, you're in charge. So I'm going to put on Jesus' belt of truth. I'm going to put on Jesus' righteousness as a breastplate. And I'm going to live a life that brings him honor. I'm going to put on my shoes the gospel of peace, of readiness that Jesus has given me to walk and be on his mission, and not my mission. It means I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation and remember that it is through faith alone, through grace alone, that I've been saved. And I'm going to pick up my shield of faith and know that Jesus is my shield, and he defends me against the circumstances of life. And I'm going to saturate my life in truth, In God's word, to be able to swing my sword of truth against the lies and the darkness of the enemy. For the non Christian who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, who has not placed their faith in Him, do you realize that there is no such thing as coincidences? that God has brought you here to hear this message today, and that he is calling you to decide your side in which kingdom that you will choose with your life. You cannot ride the line. You will either be a part of God's kingdom and believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and place your faith in him, or you will place it in your own life. Regardless, you will stand before the maker someday and he will say, what kingdom you are a part of. And I will say when I stand before him, I am in God's kingdom. I have placed my life in the work of Jesus Christ, that he has died for my sins, the penalty of my sins, and he has given me his righteousness, and I'm a child of God, and that is the only thing I hold to. If you're on the other kingdom, you will have to give an account for your life. His standard is perfection, and if you cannot meet that, you will be cast out. Jesus' life was perfect. We rest in his life for salvation. Which side will you choose? To tie it all up and to finish it with my analogy of my motorcycle, there is a saying with motorcycle riders. There are two kinds of riders. Those who have gone down and those who are going down. <laughs> it's a reality. It's hard to ride motorcycles on the street. That reality connects us to what we talked about today. There are two kingdoms. There is the enemy's kingdom and there is God's kingdom. Which kingdom will you choose? Let's pray.